Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Teaching Kindness, the Bullies Be Gone podcast, with yours truly, Nate Webb, the founder of Bullies Be Gone. Here on BBG, I go into all things kindness, bringing in guests and experts from all wakes of life. And we are all here for one reason and one reason only, to help you and your kids get over bullies, get off social media, and love your lives. So come on in and learn how to live in a world where kindness is king. I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. How's it been for you guys this year for school? Like, how's it been for your students? Parenting is hard all on its own. And then helping your kid navigate school? That's a whole nother ballgame. Put COVID and smartphones and who knows what else on top of it. It can feel super overwhelming to be a parent right now. Well, my guest today, Jethro Jones, is a former principal who focuses on improving school culture to help students succeed. He trains schools all over to be trauma-informed, and he runs the Transformative Principal Podcast. He is so good, you guys. You're going to love this episode. You're going to want to take some notes. But first, got to pay the bills. All right, everybody, we are back. So we have an Awesome guest today, Jethro Jones. He's a former principal, podcast host, school school culture con- consultant, father, and a trainer for trauma-informed schools. He has a passion for helping educators and parents improve the K-12 education area. And let's be honest, guys, we need more folks like him. Um, he has a passion for helping educators, parents, everybody so much that he left being a principal so that he could be a full-time consultant. This guy's no joke. He was the National Digital Principal of the Year in 2017. He founded the Transforma- Transformative Leadership Summit. He's the author of his book, School X. Um, he's amazing and has done so much work to help schools when it comes to leadership and being trauma-informed. Um, welcome, Jethro, to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. So, guys, I got so lucky with him. After I had done my episode with Tessa Stuckey, Jethro messaged me. And he's like, hey, dude, I want to be on your show. I really want to talk to you. And I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, holy crap, this guy's legit. So, made my job a heck of a lot easier. So, thanks for reaching out, Jethro. <laughs> Super excited to have yeah. you on the show. <laughs> well, it's it's really nice when you can have people who actually want to talk to you instead of hounding people all the time to be on your podcast, right? <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. So, Jethro, you've spent some quite a bit of time in education, right? That's right. Yep. So, you, take us take us through that a little bit, like. From the beginning, kidding. No, Spark Notes, Spark Notes version. We don't got eight hours, but yeah. Like- <laughs> well, I uh, I never wanted to become a teacher because um, I had such a bad experience in school myself, and not because of other kids. I got along fine with other kids, which I know is different from your experience. But my experience was more that the teachers were bullies to me, oh. and so in fourth grade, one of my teachers threw me up against a wall and get this. Nobody believed that he did that. Everybody thought that I was making it up because I was kind of a punk kid and got right. on the wrong side of the teacher's class clown kind of a person. Right. And so I didn't, didn't want to go in and kind of fought it, but then I felt like it would be a good place for me to be. So I became a, a teacher so that I could then become a principal because I knew that would be a more impactful way for me to do things. And so taught language arts, high school and middle school, I uh, did some work at the district office in um, 
distance learning back before the pandemic you know this was <laughs> over a decade ago so yeah. uh so did some work around that and then was a, a coach at the district level as well um kind of close to you in canyon school district that's where okay. i was was at and then um and then also uh became an assistant principal and then a principal of middle schools i was a, a principal of a homeschool program and a prison program uh before i left education so I've had a lot of unique, different experiences for sure. Yeah. And I mean, one of your specialties, um, you know, helping schools become trauma informed, kids are going through a lot of trauma yes. right now, big and small. Um, I mean, the the whiplash from going back and forth and back and forth from online in person, online in person, that's kind of traumatic in and of itself. And that's a whole mm -hmm. nother episode. Um, and then you have bullying on one hand. And then there's depression mm -hmm. and suicide ideation on the other, and it can just kind of feel impossible to handle. I kind of want to hear from your experience uh, at the schools that you worked for. Did you have to deal a lot with suicidality, suicides, stuff like that? And how did you guys intervene to help those kids during their mental health crisis? Yeah, I definitely did, especially in Alaska, where I was principal, where suicide is a very big issue, both for kids and for adults. And we had a, a philosophy that we adhered to, which uh, was overreact and under sensationalize. And that was how we managed every single, uh, every single thing related to suicidal ideation was we were going to overreact and act like they were actually going to do it, which meant that we flew to their support and did everything we could to help them be successful. Mm -hmm. And we would under sensationalize in that we wouldn't tell anybody about it. We didn't keep track of how many lives we saved because of our efforts. We didn't make a big deal about all that work. We just did it and then made sure that those who were affected by it knew we were there for them. And those who weren't affected by it didn't even know that it was happening as a way to ensure that one, there weren't um, copycats reactions, yeah. or chain reactions. And two, to respect that person's privacy, right? Because if you don't respect their privacy, then there's still stigma associated with it. And they can get into a position where they feel really uncomfortable really quickly. And you don't want to be contributing to that. Absolutely not. I love that under sensationalize and then overreact. So take any, any statement of like, you know, I just want to die, like, bam, to your aid. Like I'm here for you, all the resources, but all the random people off on the peanut gallery don't need to know about it. Um, yeah, exactly. And I've asked so many kids and so many adults at this point, have you considered hurting yourself or taking your life that it's not even scary to me to ask that anymore yeah. because it's, it's become uh, almost second nature. And it's one of those things where, uh, I don't think you're going to, you know, bring up the idea to somebody, mm -hmm. but if you ignore it or act like their cries for help are not actually cries for help and they're just complaining or whining or being emotional or whatever right. other stigma associated phrase you want to put on it. Yeah. then that's, that makes it really challenging for them to feel supported and feel help with um with what they're doing so it's important to to be there for them and support them yeah in your opinion what do you think are some of the big contributing factors to the rise in mental health issues that the kids are facing right now well you know it's the things that you talk about all the time social media is a big problem comparing ourselves to others is a big problem and i think what i am specifically qualified to speak to is that 
we don't treat kids like they're individuals in school. And when you don't have a, an approach where somebody sees you as a human being first and foremost, yeah. then they, you don't have, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to be thought of as, well, I must not be that important because my teacher doesn't even know my name or right. something like that. So I think for me, um, you know, there are lots of things out there, but I think what I'm qualified to speak on is, is that idea of knowing individual kids well enough that you know who they are and that they're actually seen. Right. And especially right now when there's so much different turmoil in different areas of anyone's given life um, with pandemic or political crap or whatever it may be. And then they come to school and then let's say a teacher calls them into their office to talk and they're getting ready to talk to a human, their teacher and their teacher sits them down and is like, all right, student number 4156, your grades are at a 76% and we need to improve said grades. Like, Am I in a freaking job? No, I'm at school. Like these are kids. Let them be. I don't know. I agree with you. We need to treat them like people first and foremost. Yeah. So I, as, as a principal, I took this approach where spiritually I see every single person as a son or daughter of God. And so to me, that means a bunch of things. And it, it means that they need, um, that they need to be treated with respect because they are children of God. They need to be um, seen for their potential of what they can become, not just what they are currently. So especially in my job as a principal, I, I deal with kids who are in trouble or have made a mistake or are suicidal or are bullied or bullies themselves. And regardless of who that is that I'm talking to, I need to recognize that they have divine potential and I approach that very intentionally and seriously and make sure that they know that, that I care about them as human beings first and foremost. Right. Now you mentioned bullying and I'm glad you did because <laughs> that, that, that is, that's one of my big things. And I, I mean, this whole podcast, right. It started off as bullies being on the podcast and it turned into teaching kindness and it's evolved a little bit, but I always try and go back to my roots there. And what are your thoughts about bullying? Like, how can we, how can schools address it without making it worse? Cause currently most schools are making it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, to me, again, it goes back to understanding that the kids need to feel seen bullies need to feel seen. And so do the mm. bully, because if they don't, um, I think you mentioned this on, on Instagram one time that when somebody's bullying someone else, it's not a problem with the one who they're bullying. It's a problem with themselves. And my, my biggest successes with students who are bullies was understanding who they are and giving them a, as JC Pohl calls them, a charismatic adult to be in their corner yes. and support them because they're struggling with a lot as well. And that's why they're acting in that manner. And if you can step in and be a, a good supportive adult for them, it really helps them uh, avoid those behaviors and not feel the need as much to bully, which is going to be better for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I feel like kids are everybody, especially kids though, are wanting and needing attention in some way, shape, mm -hmm. form. And I'm finding a lot of bullies, just like you said, they're just looking in the wrong places. Um, I can't remember who the speaker was for the life of me, but I was at a, an, a, a national school counselor convention last year. Um, and the guy said something similar to what you said. He said that kids need one adult, one positive influenced adult who believes them in their corner. And they are 
twice as likely to be successful in life if they have mm-hmm. just one person that cares about them in their corner. Um, why do you think kids are struggling so bad to be seen right now? I mean, everybody wants to be seen, but I feel like kids especially are struggling to be seen. Yeah, I think, you know, so taking the inverse of what you said about the having one good adult role model, we often look at like the ACEs study, which talks about all the things that kids can have that are detriments to them that are trauma-based that make it difficult. And all those things really um, contribute to challenges for sure. But then a good positive adult can overcome those. And we don't think about it in the positive nature that often. And so we really need to start focusing more on that and giving time and attention to that piece. And I'm sure that you've heard people talk about these uh, strategies in school where you put the names of all the kids up and everybody goes and puts a dot or a check mark by um, a kid that they feel they have a real connection with. And that can be you know, kind of a, a silly exercise to do, but there's so much power in knowing each one of those kids and seeing who doesn't have a check mark by them and going and finding that kid and becoming a check mark for that kid. It really makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, and I've, and I really feel for those kids that don't have a check mark by their name. Like, mm-hmm. how would that feel? Like all these. And then like, uh, like I would hate to, I mean, I've felt that alone. I've, I've had that. I, I remember that time and I can't fathom feeling like that during this period of time, you know, with just where, all, where all the turmoil turmoil is at with different things left and right. It'd be really hard to feel so alone. It, it, it's so easy to feel so alone during this time because we're not doing the things that we usually do by connecting with kids. And the thing that I've been preaching to everyone who will listen since kids went home from school back in last March was you still need to reach out to your kids individually and see how they're doing. Mm. And if, if that's what you're spending your time doing as a teacher, you're not preparing lesson plans, you're not grading homework, but you're actually calling kids on the phone and talking to them. Mm-hmm. How amazing would that be if every teacher called every one of their kids once a week and for middle school and high school teachers, when you got over a hundred kids, that could be really tough to do. Yeah. But I, I guarantee you that would be a better use of your time than anything else you could be doing. I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, especially, I mean, so I'm in here in Utah. Where, where are you coming at us from? Uh, I'm in Spokane, Washington now. In Washington. So you used to be in Utah. And then where'd mm-hmm. you go? Then I went to Alaska. And then, and then I came down here to Spokane. Okay. Gotcha. Um, man, so you've, 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 you've kind of, you've, you've made your rounds a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Gotcha. Oh, man. Yeah. I think so. When we shut down in back in March, when Utah, the whole world, everybody shut down. But um, I spent most of my time making videos for kids. Um, sending them out to all the students and their parents, just like morning announcements kind of stuff and like encouraging teachers, like, yeah, maybe the district might be on your tail for a little bit if you're not producing numbers, quote unquote, for those who are listening, I put big old air quotes around numbers because I hate them. Um, but checking in on the kids, seeing how they're doing is so bigger than any number attached to their performance. 
Yeah, exactly. And we lose sight of that. And we focus on the wrong things. We focus on the things that are easily legislatable instead of the things that actually make a difference in a kid's life. Um, when I do speeches and stuff, I, I often ask people who who remembers one of their teachers and something special they did for them. And inevitably, every hand goes up. And every time somebody does that, Every time a teacher makes an impact on a student's life, it's because that teacher actually saw that student as a person. And those are the things that get remembered. Or in my case, it's the negative things where that teacher saw me as a person only in a negative light or refused to see me as a person. Right. But every positive impact comes from that positive connection. And so as, as I do trainings around school culture and, and trauma and things like that, that's what I focus on the most is making sure that your kids know who you are because or that you know who they are, excuse me, right. because when you know who they are, you know how to help them, you know what they need, you pay attention to the little things. And all of those, all those things help make that person feel like they're valued, and that they matter. And, you know, this, this is such an important thing for schools to be able to do that if you, if you don't do it, then all that matters is the numbers and kids get lost in a system and nobody yep. likes to feel that way. No, absolutely not. Now you talk to, and you, you constantly, you talk about um, changing school culture. What are some, I mean, we got some educators listening. What are some simple best practices that schools can engage in to start to make a culture shift? I know making culture change takes years and years and years, but what can, what can they do to start that shift? Well, here's a little exercise that everybody can do from the very first minute they get out of their car at school. As you're walking up to the school, think about what is the experience like for a parent or a student who's walking up to the school. When they get to the doors at the school, what do they feel as they're opening that door? What kind of signage is on the door? Is there something that says you must check in at the office because we think that you're a bad person? Because that's not very helpful. Is there something that says, uh, do not ever enter this door. The store must remain locked all the time. Because that, while the attempt is to make people feel safe that we're going to prevent school shooting incidents, the reality is that it makes you feel like you're going into a prison. And that is not a comfortable place to be. And mm. look at the signage. Look at what people experience as they come in. When you walk in and the, the secretary is there greeting people as they come in the office, does she have a smile on? Is she happy? Is she excited to see someone coming in? Or is she frustrated and grumpy about something else that's going on? Those things matter and people can tell what's happening and, and when it's happening. So that's a very simple exercise. Walk up to the school and see what the experience is like as if you were a student. I love that. And I mean, just as a teacher, I mean, you know, looking at looking at the, you know, the, from the perspective of the kid, you know, put yourself in their shoes. What is their experience in your classroom? Like if you were a kid, how would you mm -hmm. feel in your own classroom? Like with the, like you said, the signage, everything else. I love that. Um, and it's, and, and the next step to that is to then take action on it. Yes. So if you have awful signs up, then, then take them down or reword them, do something else. Yes. And I, pr I promise you, if you take down one of those signs, nobody's going to even notice because nobody's paying attention to them because they mean absolutely nothing. So yeah. there's a whole process to go through to do this. And I talk about it in my book, school X, you can go to schoolx.me 
and get that first free chapter, which explains how to do that in a way that like, that actually will make a difference and not just, you know, well, let's try this. And then it fizzles out after five minutes, five days. Right. Right. Now, sometimes when I hear you talking about being trauma-informed and I mean, we there's so many struggling students right now that don't feel like they'll be loved once they reveal that they're struggling. So, so many kids feel that they're going to be judged and then they don't say anything. Um, but you, you talk about this process called uh, question, persuade, and refer um, mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're helping those struggling kids. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So that's the QPR method, which is what I was originally trained on um, when I first got uh, trained on trauma-informed practices, and one and the purpose of that is like CPR for someone who's suicidal. Gotcha. So that's that's where you question them if they are feeling suicidal, or if they've thought about it, or if they have a plan or anything like that. And so you just ask. And at first, it's really uncomfortable, and you're afraid that like you're going to have to do something big. But in reality, it's it's really a simple thing that's as easy to remember as CPR. And so you question them. Then if they say, yes, I am, then you persuade them that there is hope and you don't have to be like a therapist and nobody's asking you to be a therapist. In fact, as we talk about trauma, that's one of the things I train teachers and principals to not try to be a therapist or a counselor because that's not your role. So you certainly don't want to do that. Um, So you persuade them there's hope and I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to help you out and I'm going to take you to someplace where you can get help, which is the refer part. Um, you don't have to fix their problem for them. You don't have to, um, you know, talk them off a ledge unless you're literally on a ledge, but hopefully you're not, but you get them help and you take them to the place that they need to be. That can be as simple as walking them down to the counselor in the school, or that could be as complex as going with them to the emergency room or calling 911 if that's what you need to do. But the reality is, is as I mentioned before, you overreact and you, you stay with them until they get help. You make sure they know you're not going anywhere until they're in somebody else's hands. If you're on the phone with them, you stay on the phone until they get to the hospital or wherever they're, go- wherever they're going. You walk with them to the um, counselor or the therapist or whatever it is you need to do. You be there for them so that they're not walking through that alone. I love that. Oh, so much. Um... QPR. Uh, we, we, we talked about a little bit here in the schools about QPR, especially being a school counselor. But I think if more people were just aware of like, mm-hmm. just like, hey, if somebody's feeling that they are like suicidal or if you're worried about someone, ask them, question them. And if someone is, has, has, you know, revealed to you, you know, confided in you that they are suicidal, that's half the battle for them. Saying it out loud saves so many people because they've never done that before. It's all been inside of them for so long bottled up. And when they finally say it out loud, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to live. I don't want to die. I want to live. Thank you so much for just talking to me and letting me be seen. I want to live. And you don't have to do that much convincing. Like (laughs) Most people want to live, guys. They just want to be seen and alive. Yeah. And that is, that's very simplistic, Nate, but it's very real. Like just saying it out loud makes them say, Whoa, hold on a minute. I have thought about killing myself. And now I realize that's not what I want to do. So I I do need some help. Thank you for asking. So I can realize by saying it out loud, because when it's just in your head, you're thinking, 
everybody must think this. Everybody must believe this. I must be, everybody must think that I should die. And that's not the case at all. No, no, absolutely not. If anybody who's listening, if you or anyone that you know is struggling with suicidality, there is no shame in getting help. Please talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And if you know somebody that you think might be struggling with suicidality, check in on them, see how they're doing. You have no idea. And calling them out, that's okay. Hey, have you ever thought about killing yourself? It's okay to say those words. And by saying those words, you are not going to give someone the idea to kill themselves. A lot of people are like, oh, but I don't want to make them think about killing themselves if they're not already thinking about it. No, that's not what you're doing. You are asking them a question because you're concerned about them. And then when they say that thing out loud, oh my gosh. It's going to make a world of difference. Being there for people yeah. is a big difference. Yeah. So the other thing that I do is I have the suicide hotline saved as a contact in my phone. Mm. So um, a lot of people think, oh, I'll just look it up when I need it. But what really helps is just save it in your phone. So right now, get out your phone and save it. And it's 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Not necessarily for you, but for anybody else, you know? Yeah. And guys, I just put it in my phone. It is 1-800-273-8255. Save that. That is the suicide prevention line. Um, and that's going to save a lot of lines if you have that yeah. in your phone. Um, maybe even yours. Um, gosh, so many golden nuggets in here. I think some of the my, some of my biggest takeaways – especially for kids right now that are struggling, helping them be seen and giving them hope is going to mm -hmm. save so many more lives than any data analysis of whatever insert fancy program here, helping someone feel seen and feel heard and giving them hope is going to make the world a difference, especially right now because of the pandemic, we've been doing a lot of online stuff, a lot of screen stuff and kids have kind of dehumanized or de-emotionalized their lives. It all mm -hmm. goes around. I mean, they the only thing may be sadness and happiness and laughter and anger, um, but never love through social mm -hmm. media. It's stuff that makes you mad, makes you laugh, um, and that's about it. Um, mm -hmm. And so many kids have lost their sense of emotion because they've been on their screens all the time because of school and different things. And I mean, social media companies, they're just loving life right now because everybody's on their phones and they're like, holy crap, everyone's downloaded things. I'm so rich. Um, they don't necessarily care about the impact that it's having on your kid's life. Um, mm -hmm. um, what are, I mean, I, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are, what are your opinions? I, <laughs> just opinions on social media right now at this point in time and with kids. Yeah, I, I've been a big fan of social media for years. I think the power that it has to connect us is incredible. Um, but to be honest, it's become a dumpster fire over the past few years that is just, uh, in my opinion, getting way out of hand. And, you know, I, I was on Twitter a long time ago, you know, back when it started, I joined every social network because I have a unique name and I can get at Jethro Jones for just about everything. Yeah. But, um, but I don't stay active on a lot of them because 
like you mentioned, I've never heard it described that way, but it makes you feel emotions, but not the most important emotion, which is love. And so all those other emotions is what it makes you feel. And I find that I waste too much time. I waste too much energy and thought and everything. And it's just not worth it. So what I've started doing is using social media to reach out directly to people so that that. I can have one-on-one conversations. And the amazing thing is that I can connect with people that do inspire me and make me feel like I want to be a better human being. And I can connect with them one-on-one and not just one-on-many and the Mm. hot takes and the, um, the quippy remarks of social networks, um, they don't add anything to the conversation. Certainly when you get into this political stuff, Heavens you know, it, it's just as a waste of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love what you said about being able to be one-on-one instead of one-on-many. Our brains mm-hmm. are not wired to be one-on-500. They're wired mm-hmm. to be one-on-one. Our brains are not wired to be connected to 800 million whatever people at all times. That's way mm-hmm. too many people that we have access to and have access to us. Um, yeah. And so I love it. Um, you advocate for this. So many other people do too. Just auditing your social media. It is the magazine that you design. You can decide mm-hmm. what you see. You can delete every single person that makes you feel bad if you want. The only thing that's stopping people is fear. Fear of how people might react. Fear of missing out potentially. Um, but guys, the only thing you're missing out on is your life. <laughs> if I'm being quite frank. Um if you're so concerned about what other people are doing and thinking and saying at all times. Um, Oh my gosh. So many golden nuggets here. I hope you guys have been taking notes, pausing when you need to. There's a lot of great things we've been discussing today. Uh, Thank you so much, Jethro, for coming on sharing all this. Um, I could talk to you all day. Um, How could people keep in touch with you and see what you're doing? Shameless plug time. Yeah. uh, I would go to uh, jethrojones.com and there's a button on there that says, click to schedule a call with Jethro. Like I said, I like the one-on-one connection. That's right there on my, uh, on my website, jethrojones.com. And then, you know, I can talk to you about anything that you want to talk about and we'll take some time to learn about each other. And, and then we can go from there. If you're doing the social network stuff, I'm at Jethro Jones on all those. So that would be good too. Awesome. And all that is going to be in the show notes, guys. So go and connect with him, um, especially if you're in the same child advocacy space, education space, anywhere where you're trying to improve how our students are doing. Um, Jethro is your man. Um, And if you want your... I got to say one more thing. Yes. I'm going to interrupt you. I apologize. This is something that I just started. It's called the Cyber Traps Podcast. And we talk about the misuse of digital technology, myself and uh, the author, Frederick Lane, who wrote the books, Cyber Traps, really good stuff. Awesome, awesome conversations on there. So cybertraps.com for that one. Cybertraps.com. And it's a podcast, right? Yep. It's a podcast. And he's got three books, Cyber Traps for the Young, Cyber Traps for Educators, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. So Oof. I mean, there's something for everybody there. Oof. Oh my goodness. Guys, 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 guys. Oh man. He pulls an ace out of his sleeve. Gosh. Yeah. That's going to be huge. Um, I yeah. had a baby just two months ago. And so like, yeah, that's huge for, I mean, it's, it's my second, I have a two, I have a two year old and a two month old. So I'm so experienced. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's huge, huge. So guys check that out. Cybertraps podcast, cybertraps.com. Got those three books. Um, so many different things. Um, gosh, so many good, so much good in this world. Um, and 
If you guys want your daily dose of positivity, go over to Insta and follow me at bulliesb.gone. You guys can connect with me there. Always remember, you are wonderful, you are worthy, and you are worth it. Go home and give your kids an eight-second hug, and we'll see you on the next one.